Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. This is again a roundtable, so it's Doug Maurice, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, and me. Uh, we throw out five takes, so each of us throws out a take and then we talk about it. Uh, it's a pretty fun little podcast to listen to, so uh, check that out here coming up. And of course, check out Football Insider, cleveland.com slash browns. If you want access to those exclusive stories you see on cleveland.com, you want a newsletter every day uh, emailed to you right there in your inbox and you want to get a chance to be a part of our tech subscription Football Insider is what you want to check out. So click on the blue banner at the top of the page at cleveland.com slash browns for information and to get signed up. Okay, here is the second installment of our free agent roundtable. Away we go here on our free agency roundtable. Not a super active day for the Browns. They did come to an agreement with Tack McKinley. Here's what we're going to do. We all have a take that we're going to throw out there, uh, and we're just going to kick those around a little bit. Doug, start us off. What's your take? Mine isn't a take. It's a tack. I like it. I think this is the right way to go. I think going into second tier of edge rushers is the way to go here, and I understand why the Browns did it. And I am intrigued to hear what other people think of it. But I think there's, I think we have to have a salary cap discussion at this point because I'm not getting, nobody's going to argue that Tack McKinley is better than Carl Lawson. Nobody is arguing that he's better than Trey Hendrickson or Yannick Ngakwe or anybody else. But we're talking about why they did what they did. So I like it. I thought this is what they would do. And it makes a lot of sense to me. And so my take is that, like, I think perhaps I am more pleased as we record this on Tuesday night than most people around this who think they should have gone bigger at this position. I think it fits if with exactly what they're trying to do. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Doug, you've got to take a way bigger victory lap than that, my friend. You started out saying they should go for a safety. And you got that yesterday. You didn't then use you, the right name on that one. Yeah. Then you specifically, specifically named Tack. Now, come on. You're being a little modest, which really isn't like you. So let's take the victory lap. Come on. I'm such a smug jerk. 95% of the time I was trying <laughs> to hold back a little bit. But yeah, I'm here for a lap, baby. Boom. Nailed it. Tack. Now, I paid him twice what the Browns paid him. When we did our free agency thing, I gave him $8 million a year for three years. He got $4 million for one year. So maybe Tack needs me as his agent. Listen, 
it made sense. He's the guy, as Mary Kay, you pointed out in your story. They tried to claim him 38 different times over the past year. They see something here. And there is a world, right, when we were all briefly dancing in the world in 2017 when the Browns had the first pick and the 12th pick, what if they don't go Miles? What if they take a quarterback number one? Tack McKinley, I think I might have written it. He was like in the conversation of if they go quarterback at one defense at two, maybe Tack McKinley would be in the mix at 12. Right now we all know what happened, but this guy I think is the right fit. And I don't know that they ever really had a plan or could have fit a $13 million a year defensive end in their cap situation right now. They, uh, if you go to the cap sites, right. Is it Spotrack sport rack? I never know how to say it. Spot spot rack. Spot rack. I always say Spo. Over the cap, those two, right? Had them a, they don't have tack added on yet, but they're at about 14 million left in real cap space, according to those sites right now, right? So if they would have signed a $14 million defensive end instead of a $4 million defensive end, like they'd be done. They'd practically be done. Now we can have a debate about is the, tack, the cap real? Is the cap fake? I know there's the cap fake people out there. There's a lot of analytics people who push back against everybody who says the cap is fake because then they say, why are these good teams cutting good players? The cap is real. Also, by the way, you know, who's next to the last in league and dead money right now. Second, second least amount of dead money that they don't want to deal in dead money. The Browns. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't think they want to get in a world where, well, we signed Carl, Carl Lawson for $15 million a year and two years from now, when Miles Garrett's cap hit jumped from 12 million to 29 million, then they're like, oh, we get what are we going to do? Now we got to, right? I mean, I just think this makes sense. And the question that I have for people, see, Mary Kay, this is what you get. I mean, why could you just let it pass? <laughs> let me be fake humble for the first time in my life. Here's my question If you guys don't like the Tack McKinley signing, and if you believe strongly they should have paid for an edge rusher and been in the top end of the market, it's either one of two things. It's either they have the money they should have paid. They should have gotten John Johnson end and the 12 or 13 or $14 million pure edge rusher because you think they can fit it under the cap or whatever. And I have the list of things they still have to do. So I just would be curious how exactly that would fit. Or the question is, if you were going to spend an $11 million per year player and a $4 million per year player, would you rather the 11 million go to the edge rusher and the 4 million to the safety or the way the Browns did it, 11 million to the safety and four to the edge. I'd take this. So if people don't like this and they wanted more, I think you have to say what it is. And if you just think, you know what, they could fit it in. I get it, but I'd like to hear a little bit of an explanation there because they need a third corner. They got to get a linebacker somewhere, whether it's bringing back BJ Goodson or not, that's going to count. Are they bringing back Rashard Higgins? That's not multi, multi, multi millions for all those guys. But I think Carl Lawson or somebody like that would have squeezed them there. And now what are you doing? Now you're cutting David and Joku to save money, right? That I think they would have had to do something else to get a guy more expensive or better than Tack, which is why my take is Tack is right in a lot of ways. So I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil this just so you guys know my my take coming up at the end is gonna have a little bit to do with the cap situation and what you know John Johnson's this weird kind of structure of John Johnson's contract like it only counts five million against the cap this year what's going on there I'll I'll get into that a little bit later but I don't I mean does anybody hate the Tack McKinley signing I'm just I mean I don't hate it I don't love it I'm not like 
running laps around. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced this guy's gonna, you know, light the world on fire and resurrect his career. I, I just, I, I can't be that opposed to this signing. Cause I think what's the, what's the worst case scenario with this signing? He doesn't make the 53 man roster. Okay. So you say so $4 million. You think he might not make the roster? He's like their starting defensive end, isn't he? He never even played for the Raiders. No, I know. He had a goofy year last year. There, I, there's a well, chance. The, I mean, yeah, there's absolutely a chance. Like, I don't think it's going to happen. There's a chance it could happen. Well, the only reason you hate this signing is if you think this is it. If you think he's the answer, he's the primary or a big part of the primary answer defensive end, and you think they should have gone harder there. So, I mean, are people sitting here thinking like, okay, he's the Claiborne replacement and the Vernon replacement still coming. I'm very curious to feel, to figure out where people think this signing fits in the structure of the roster and the structure of the cap and how much they're actually relying on him. Is this guy a flyer backup flyer, take a shot. Or is he like a, is he get a start on their defensive line and play all the time? I don't love the approach here, but there's got to be something else. You're not going to, uh, put really, I don't think this job in tax hands and say he is your starting defensive end. I, I, I'm not feeling it. Why am I not feeling it? Because uh, he just really hasn't shown the kind of consistency and stability on and off the field that you're going to need from that position. I think it's an important and very key position. And he's either been injured or at odds with his team. And I I have to wonder, I mean, John Gruden was all about him at the end of uh, last season when they acquired him and they, they had the opportunity to re-sign him. They had him in their own building and they let him go and they upgraded with Yannick Nagakoway. Now, of course, we're talking about different price points and different amounts of money and things like that. But so this doesn't seem to me like it can be the answer. The answer has got to be coming from somewhere else. You're not going to put uh, this very important job in the hands of someone that really hasn't provided consistent sack production since 2018. And of the seven sacks in 2018, three of them came in one game in week four against the Bengals. So Really, uh, he only had four sacks in his other how many ever games he played that season. I think it was a pretty full season. He played 15 games that year. So, yeah, four sacks in the other 14 games. So I'm not I'm not seeing, you know, consistent production when he was made a full time starter in 2019. He started 13 out of the 14 games he played in 2019. And for whatever reason, and I haven't really had a time to dive into this all yet, but he ended up when he had his big chance with only three and a half sacks that year. So you're talking about really, he got off to a great start his, his first year. He wasn't a starter, but he came up with seven sacks as a rookie. I think it was seven or it might've been six. Yes, it was six as a rookie, which was pretty good for a rookie, especially because he wasn't starting. But there just hasn't been that consistent production And when your drafting team doesn't pick up your fifth year option, which, you know, I mean, those, those fifth year options weren't even guaranteed back then, you know, to not pick it up then when, you know, when you knew you could buy yourself some time, you know, that that's says a lot about a situation. 
then just the way that all kind of went downhill. I don't know. Sometimes a change of scenery really can do someone a lot of good. And I think that, you know, Andrew Barry scouted him, I'm sure, in, in 2017, probably spent a lot of time with him, probably really liked him, and is probably kind of going off things that he saw and, with his own two eyes and his conversations with Tack. He likes him. It's obvious he really likes him. So he must think he could get him here and pull out of him his, the potential that, that he has. Because to this point, he really hasn't. Well, we know he hasn't lived up to first round status, but he, you know, he's, he's bouncing around when you start bouncing around and having well, injuries and having surgeries, there starts to be red flags. It's what if Bill Belichick was signing him. Bill Belichick would be a genius, right? If you're the team, you become the team. Hey, it's a culture change. We bring in guys who had trouble elsewhere. And now we're, we're brilliant for bringing in guys who are at a low ebb, but we're getting great value for low risk. Maybe the Browns are that now. But we can't, nobody wants us to have a 35-minute Tack McKinley conversation. I just want to know from everybody, what do you think the answer at edge is? Because it didn't happen in the first two days in a big money way. So, Mary Kay, if you, you seem to think it's not it. This is not the end. So then what do you think is going to happen at edge rusher? Are they going to draft somebody in the first round? Are they going to sign somebody else for $8 million a year? Like, are they going to trade for somebody? Like, what do you – I think this might be it, plus, like, a guy in the draft. I, I want actually, I'm curious about that. Scott on this. Yeah, you guys go. Yeah. So S Scott wrote a great three things to know on tack. I left that wanting to know more. I've got a lot of tape to watch tonight after we get off this podcast. So Scott, I'm really just going to throw it to you and I want to hear where your head's at with all this. And if you can build off uh, that post at all anymore, I thought you had a lot of good information in there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the move. Maybe not maybe not McKinley specifically, but I understand, I agree with the move of putting more money into safety than in the pass rush. Um, and I'll get into that a little more on my quote unquote hot take. It makes a lot more sense. Well, there's, there's a, PFF has a, has a stat called pass rush productivity, which is pressures created on a per snap basis. Sacks get a little more weight. Uh, in 2019, last time McKinley played a, a full season, his uh, PRP was 6.5, which was 53rd among good rushers. He was tied with Ngakwe and Clowney on that. The year before that, uh, he was about seven-something. He was tied with Shaq Barrett. A lot of these guys that we think of as, as top uh, top end edge rushers maybe have the sack numbers that he hasn't had on a consistent basis. But as far as pressures per snap, he's pretty close with a lot of these guys. He's not up there with Miles Garrett and Nick Bosta and, and J.J. Watt, but he's, he's in this tier of guys who, guys who are, are seen as kind of prizes this offseason – been consistently down there with him. I think he was tied with Clowney in like 2017 as well. The thing with McKinley that maybe makes me wonder how he fits into this defense is the fact that he's a lot like BJ Goodson in that if they do make him the guy, if he gets Olivier Vernon type snaps, he's going to be getting more snaps. He's going to be more three down edge rusher than he's ever been. He, he's topped out at like 57, 56% of snaps in his career. And Vernon and Garrett are, you know, both, they're both over 70% here. So that's a lot like Goodson who came here and suddenly he's got more snaps than he's ever had. He's in coverage more than he's ever been. And he kind of had to get used to some situations he wasn't used to. So that's probably in McKinley's future. We don't know if he can handle it. I do think they'll probably address this in the draft, but I think Doug's right. McKinley's probably the guy 
Porter Gustin probably get every opportunity to see if he can make a jump, but McKinley is your, is your, is your starter at the other edge. And I think there's more to pass rush than just putting a guy on that edge and saying, all right, go get the job done. A lot of it has to do with, with the people behind him. And that's why John Johnson got such a big deal. For me personally, yeah, I, it's, fa- it's fair to say he's the guy on March 16th. I think it's too soon to say he's the starter. Because I, I want him to take a guy at either 26 or in the second round to come in and compete. I, I think that's I'll the perfect that. approach to this. You, you, you sign Tack McKinley. Okay, Tack, your career's on the line. Show us what you can do. And now you draft a guy at 26 or you draft a guy in the second round and they compete. And if Tack McKinley loses, he loses. It costs you four million bucks. And now, now maybe he's. You think they're going to cut him? They're not going to cut him. I will bet you a smoked ham that he is on the roster for the first game of the year. I don't know why. Was anybody last year saying like, "Well, if they cut Adrian Claiborne, they cut Adrian Claiborne. What are you going to do?" I mean, this this guy is an important part of the rotation at defensive end, Dan. I, I don't know why you would even float the idea that like that wouldn't have. If they need four defensive ends at least, right? Who do they have? He's got to be one of them. I, I'm not predicting that he's going to get cut, but I'm just saying. You this said is a he guy might that, get cut twice that, in five minutes. The guy tweeted his way off the Falcons. I mean, we're we're talking about a guy that hasn't lived up to product that hasn't lived up to his draft hype, right? A guy who tweeted his way off the Falcons couldn't pass physicals last year. The Raiders, who were desperate, desperate for pass rush, they signed Carl Nassib. They paid Carl Nassib like twenty million dollars a couple years ago desperate for pass rush don't want him so look i don't think he's gonna get cut i don't think he's not gonna make the 53-man roster but i think anything is in play with him until he gets in the building and we actually see what he can do and you know what sex of course are not everything that is not what you always necessarily need from the guy that's going to be your if he's going to be your number two edge rusher on, on the other side you don't always have to get sacks he's got speed he's got explosiveness we know that he brings some of those things to the table but from week four of the 2018 season he's had four sacks since then that and you know we're talking about throughout the rest of 2018 all of 2019 and well Whatever. How many games did he play in 2020? Four? Three. Three or four. Okay. So, and, and four. Okay. So in like 14, 18, I don't know, 20, 20 some games, there were four sacks. The if last, I, the last three seasons, Tack McKinley has 11 and a half sacks. The last three seasons, the last three seasons, Carl Lawson has 11 and a half sacks. Okay, but the last 20 some games of his career, he has four sacks. Maybe we can add that up. I think it ends up being, I don't know how many he played total in 2018, but if he played 16 in 2018, maybe somebody could look that up. So that, you know, that 12 and then 14. So what are, are we talking like 30 games? Are we talking four sacks in 30 game, in the last, in his last 30 games? No, I, I just think You're I just not. think the variance. I think the variance on him is really high. I've said what I think the floor is. It also wouldn't shock me if at the end of the year he's got seven sacks, and we're saying Andrew Barry's a genius for this signing. I think this could go a million different ways with him, because we just don't know. Maybe he was absolutely miserable in a bad situation in Atlanta, 
and he wasn't healthy last year. And all he needs is this kind of back against the wall year gets into a good organization and saves his career. I, I think, I think anything is possible. I think there's a super low floor. I think there's a super high ceiling and I think it's costing you 4 million bucks. So I'm right. like, I've said, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with this signing. I think it's a good low risk signing. All the risk is on Tack McKinley's side because he either saves his career or he doesn't. Are we ready to move on? No, no. Ellis <laughs> needs to talk about this. People have to answer for the cap on this because this is not a Tack McKinley conversation. It's a, how should they fit? People on this podcast were very into a big money defensive end and they haven't done it. So I would like to hear what you think about that because that's the real conversation. It's not really about Tack McKinley. It's not about what they did. It's about what they didn't do. But if you think it's a failure to not sign a defensive end for 12 or $13 million a year, I'm just curious how that would fit or tell me the cap doesn't matter, but put it on the record. But Ellis, you have a lot to say on this, I think. <laughs> because Dan wants to talk about the cap at the end and it's going to be my, well, I, I don't have a lot of cap stuff to talk about. So we, we can, we can have that discussion now. The cap is just part of what I was going to say. All right. Well, I'll give you my short answer. And my long answer. I don't think the cap's real. I said it yesterday until I see some actual reckoning, some ramifications aside from the Raiders, just making boneheaded decisions. I'm not going to worry about it all that much. This team is relatively cap safe. You mentioned the dead money, Doug, uh, they've got extensions lined up that all will be considerations to be restructured if the cap ever does become a, an issue here, as teams have done, as again, what I said yesterday, teams have done with T Taysom Hill, to Tom Brady, to Christian McCaffrey, to Patrick Mahomes. Miles Garrett will be in line for that if they ever extend Baker or Nick Chubb. They're going to do cap gymnastics to figure this all out. That does not mean I think they run off and go sign uh, Hendrickson for $15 million or they sign Carl Lawson to... 14. Like, I, I don't know if that's exactly what I wanted them to do. Um, I really liked a Solomon Thomas type of name. Like if they were going to go this route, like I, I said how the, the edge rusher, they had an opportunity to solidify someone there and they didn't do that. So now when we're talking tier two, Doug, how you started, this was saying going to that tier two pass rusher. I don't think we can count tack as a tier two edge rusher and if we don't want this conversation to be about tack necessarily and what they didn't do then i'm just saying they didn't land a tier two edge rusher they grabbed an extremely high upside flyer to dan's point it could end in a lot of different ways i see where this could work out with this young man i think scott's point both in his three things and what he said about tack being a bj goodson candidate as a guy who's going to be asked to do more than he's ever asked to do before is a extremely accurate point and potentially worrisome i'm gonna go watch the tape but if this guy as scott pointed out pointed out in his three things to know is not a good run defender which he really hasn't been yet in this league he hasn't been asked to be that then there's no way that he's a three down player for this team you're just gonna run away from miles garrett as i've written about before already you're gonna allow teams too many ways to game plan around this. I think this defensive end spot is quickly becoming a revolving door situation where they're gonna add two defensive linemen and a D tackle in the draft, or one D lineman in the one defensive tackle, one D end, then one more guy they bring in. This is gonna be a revolving door stuff they're gonna be figuring out as they go on the fly in a way like linebacker last year, because that run defense is gonna be a huge issue when you're asking a guy to do something he's never done. And 
I'll just pivot to my when before we started recording this, I said I had one and a half hot takes for y'all. This is more of a hot question because it does involve tack, and this was my half of take. And I don't say this lightly, but it, it, it is a jumping off point. How much does Tack McKinley actually weigh? If you Google his weight, you're going to get four different answers. I've seen 230. I've seen 240. I've seen 250. I've te- seen 265. And then in Mary Kay's story, she wrote how he dropped weight and even played 2019 at 270. So sure. Did I just answer my own question there? He, Maybe. What I saw, he went down to 248 before last year. Right. He wanted to be faster. Yep. Yep. So we're talking about a guy here who not only tweets his way out of places, hasn't lived up to his production and his draft merit also has, I'm not going to call them weight issues, but weight flexibility concerns saying that I don't think it's like, I don't, I wouldn't mind him playing at 270 because that might make him a better run defender. But if he's not the pass rusher, he is at 270 because he has to play at 240. Well, then he's probably not the run defender that he is. You see the predicament you get into there. Again, I think the tape can solve some of these questions that I have right now that I'm just kind of throwing out into the ether. But for that extensive list, uh, it's a high upside flyer in this defensive end two spot, along with probably the rest of the defensive lineup. As right now, aside from Miles Garrett and Andrew Billings, feels like a revolving door. All right. I watched a game of film on tech, so I'm going to go. What do you see? Yeah, go for it. I watched his, I, so this is what I'm doing. I'm finding like his best PFF grade. And then I'm watching that game. Cause I want to see the guy at his best when is that supposed to best. I understand that's not what he is all the time. First of all, in terms of number of snaps, when you look at his PFF grades, a lot of his highest PFF grades come in the games where he plays more. I think he can play more. I think he'll be fine playing more. And actually BJ Goodson got better at the end of the year, right? They asked BJ Goodson to do more than he's ever done. And he's going to get a bigger contract out of it. Like he exceeded expectations. So if that's a comparison, I think that's okay. I think he can play more. I think he's a motor guy. He doesn't seem to have any moves. I don't think he has a toolbox. So he has a little speed on the edge. I think this, I am envisioning Miles Garrett school. And Miles Garrett is the teacher now. He's no longer young. He's the veteran. And if you have Port Augustine, Tack McKinley, who's the same age as Miles, same draft, and you bring in like a second round pick and you put them in Miles Garrett pass rush school, that is a world that I want to live in. I think that, I think Miles is going to be good for Tack. And I think Tack, he has, he's a motor guy. They, the game I watched, there was a fumble after the play. It was clearly dead. He picked up the fumble and high step 25 yards down the field. Tack is going to get sacks where Miles gets all the pressure. Tack cleans up the garbage and gets the sack and jumps into the stands. That's the kind of guy he's going to be. He's a motor guy. He's not a technique guy. He also strung out some runs. He set the edge a little bit. I don't, I don't think he's incompetent as a run defender. I think he has some ability there. I think he can play more. I think he'll be good opposite Miles, and I think there's more upside there for him. And from the little bit of personality stuff, when I re-listened to his combine interview that I still have in my computer, I think he's an earnest guy who got off track. He has this great story about being raised by his grandma, dedicating his career to her. This is important to him, and it hasn't gone the way he's wanted it to go. And now he's on a playoff team, and he's going to be in practice every day with one of the best guys in the league at his position. I think there are multiple ways he steps up, but I think he has enough there that if he does that at least a little bit, I think he can be solid, but he is more motor. And I think miles has to teach, teach him some moves, but I think he can defend the run too, Ellis. Okay. Let's move on here. Ellis, you wanted to go second. Yeah. So second and my second take 
view in a way. It's 48 hours in, I think the Browns have had the third best free agency in the AFC North behind only the Steelers. Now, to be clear, I think the Browns will be just fine. I think it's a hard and fast and safe rule, though, however, that at any point in the offseason, just ask yourself, is my team better today than when our season ended? Whether you're a Browns fan or Andrew Barry, ask yourself that. And right now, I think that's an interesting question to ask the Browns. Again, we're 48 hours in. I get it. There's waves of this stuff, and we still have a draft to go. But there's still a lot of glaring questions. We just, I mean, we've been doing this for 30 minutes now, 20 minutes, and clearly we already have one glaring question that three of us, for the most part, agree on four. They still don't have their number two receiver in Richard Higgins. If he does not come back, I think that is a hour-long pod conversation in itself in the ramifications that could mean most likely in the short term for the Browns until we assume that all of a sudden this magic chemistry happens between Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr., which I've been on the record of saying I think will happen they should pursue, but still you're getting rid of a known commodity and connection for the unknown. An important spot at corner, and then we have talked about B.J. Goodson already today in the comparison of tech, but just in his value to this team, no word there. Mary Kay likely knows more. Perhaps this all gets taken care of eventually, but I think it's interesting 48 hours in, you can probably pencil the Browns in at three, considering all the guys, the Steelers lost Bud Dupree, Vince Williams, Marquise Pouncey, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquise Pouncey retiring, of course, a few other guys. And then we look at the Bengals who signed one of those stud pass rushers in Hendrickson sign a Uze, a, a cornerback who's going to replace William Jackson. And they sign a slot corner in Mike Hilton from the Steelers, who I think a few of us had in our free agency wins list, uh, stealing talent from the Steelers. And then the Ravens doing Raven stuff. They get better on the offensive line. Uh, they re-sign internal talent in Tyler Bowser uh, and McPhee, uh, Derek Wolf as well at defensive end. So two outside backers and they're at the end. They lose Judon and Ngakwe, of course, and there's still question marks there, but they're going to get compensatory picks from that. I heard something interesting today. The Ravens lead the NFL, like league history, since the compensatory pick came in in the 90s. They lead the NFL in uh, compensatory picks accumulated, something like mid-80s or something like that. They've got like eight or seven or eight more than any team in league history. I thought that was pretty interesting. And it just adds to how they do business. Again, losing Judon and Ngakwe, but they'll get picks back for that. And for those reasons, like Olivier Vernon getting hurt really hurt the Browns because he's likely not going to resign anywhere, which means they don't get that comp pick, which they were counting on uh, a year ago at this time when it, it became clear he'd be with the team. So all that out there, I think it's interesting. The Browns, you can pencil them in at three right now, 48 hours in. I'm Perhaps there's an opportunity for Dan to stay ahead of his Steelers corner that they're done. Um, and then just a jumping off point with the Bengals and Ravens. It's been an interesting time in the FC North for free agency, and we're only 48 hours in. So third in the North. So Third, in the north. Third in the north. I don't, I don't like your take. Whoa, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> Mary Kay? What's up? Well, first of Third, all, free agency in the north. You know what? There, there are, there are a, a, a few things that I wanted to, to address very quickly. And by the way, as, as we're doing this, there's always something going on. Terrence uh, Mitchell is, is going to be signing with the Texans, but this will be, that'll probably will have happened well, by the time you guys are. 
that adds, well, I get me to my rebuttal of Ellis. That but I'm not rushing that, you, Mary Kay. That adds to my take. That adds let, to my take. There's no uh, let's Terrence pretend Mitchell. that the Texans signing 14 mediocre players is some kind of great accomplishment. Okay, sorry. No, that's okay. I was just going to say that you know I it it's not going to be a deal breaker to lose the Richard Higgins and the Terrence Mitchells. I mean, it's just. I, I don't even think, I mean, Richard is a nice player and Richard had nice chemistry with Baker, but Richard, if he goes and signs with another team, which I think he probably will at this point, you know, I just don't think that that's going to have a, a very big impact on this, on this Browns team. I don't really think that, um, that Terrence Mitchell leaving is, is gonna, is gonna have all that much of an impact either. I, I just don't, I just don't see that. And I, you know, and I, I think they did get better. I think they got better with Josh Johnson, significantly better at safety. So that's until I get to my take, that's, that's it. Mary Kay's sitting on a big one. I can tell she's got, no, a, she's got really. I'm not. No, I, I don't No. Scott, are you on, does Ellis have them slotted? Right. I, I don't think anybody, the Browns had, any of the Browns own free agents were vital to resign. I know I did a post where I had Mitchell is like the most likely to resign or maybe the one that made the most sense. And I included him in my free agency post, but I don't, even though they have a lot of holes on defense, I don't think any of those guys are vital. I think they're all replaceable and Mitchell's included in that. I, I think they solved a lot of problems with Josh, with John Johnson. And I think they have some potential problem solvers already built in, in greedy Williams and Grant Delpit that maybe sets them apart a little bit from some of the other teams because yeah, they were missing those guys last year, but they, you know, they're still technically on the team. They didn't have to go out and get people to replace. So if they come back healthy, you're, you know, you're better right off the bat there. So I, I don't know. And you know, the Ravens, Steelers, Bengals, they've all lost players in free agency that I think were a bigger deal than anybody the Browns are going to lose. That take I like. All right, Doug, you here to give me the knockout punch? What's up? I, I thought you were dismissive of John Johnson. I mean, like to get hung up on BJ Goodson and Terrence Mitchell, they got one of the two best guys on the market at their most glaring weakness. I mean, like we talked about safety all last year. We thought it killed them at times. So they got one of the two best guys there. That's where they spent their money. I think that is incredibly important. And I think it is slightly disingenuous to like, talk about who the Ravens got and then talk about who they lost, but be like, well, they got compensatory picks for that. Like losing good players still matters. Now I understand you're making a point. There may be a strategy to that. And there is probably an organizational strategy, sign good players, let them go draft good players with the picks, develop them, let them go. Right. I get it. But in the moment, like as, as, as Scott so eloquently said, the Browns haven't lost anybody close to as good as Matthew Judon in Baltimore and Bud Dupree in Pittsburgh. I mean, that is, so if we're doing like a free agency player scorecard, right? I mean, like it's gotta be pluses and minuses. And by the way, everybody started at a different point. And as I wrote beforehand, like the Browns were as in a good of a spot in terms of continuity and like good players that they have as anybody. And Ellis, you're young and you weren't around for all this. And I haven't been around it for as long as Mary Kay and Scott and Dan, but the Browns are used to winning the off season. This is the time was like, look at all the good players the Browns get. It's like, it doesn't matter. Cause then they get to the September and they stink. They usually do what the Patriots are doing now. So it's like, I, I, I didn't like the framing of your take because too often in Cleveland, 
we've taken free agency as its own thing. And it's like, we even put it in our headlines for these stories. Who wins free agency? It's like, well, we, we can't pretend that you don't get a trophy for winning free agency. So to frame it as like, well, they're third in their own division of free agency. Yeah. I also think overall talent right now with the team they have, I think they're the best team in the division. So, okay. They're third in free agency. Well, let's add it all together. I think you need to keep the, everything, the ship moving together, the guys you already have and the new guys added to them. I don't like taking the new guys out and awarding points on that. So that's yeah, why I, I was so mean about it. No, I, yeah, I don't <laughs> think those things are mutually exclusive. I, I understand and hear and agree. Anyone want to say anything about the, the Bengals? Uh, they were the, like the team you're describing, Doug, the team that just goes out and spends. They've really done that these, these past two off seasons. I like the signing of Trey Hendrickson, but I have a bias right now. I think that it's worth the money to find an edge rusher. I think it's worth the money, but I'll save that for a few minutes from now. Let me, let me ask you this. If the Browns make one or two more, you know, make some small moves here in free agency, the rest of the way draft an edge rusher or corner at 26 that can start draft another starter in the second round, maybe at one of those positions, extend Denzel Ward, extend Nick Chubb, extend Baker Mayfield. I don't know. Extend Wyatt Teller, whoever throw out any extensions you want. They take care of all of that business. You have to consider that off season a win, right? Mm -hmm. I I, I only say that because, you know, I said this to one of our texters today, right before the the Browns actually signed tag McKinley. Cause they're like, what are they going to do at edge rush? And I said, Listen, this is the league year hasn't even started yet. It starts tomorrow at four, and there's so many phases to this offseason. And like yeah. Doug said, we're so used to the Browns right off the bat being the team that makes all this noise because usually the Browns stink and they have to add a million pieces to even be competitive. I think we just have to let this offseason kind of play a little bit. Yeah. I, now I, I'm, I might contradict that with what I say later, but. <laughs> I, I think there's room to let this offseason marinate. And you know, maybe they are third right now in the North. But I think if I if they do all those things that I just listed, I don't know if we're going to be saying they're third in the North, you know, in June. Yeah, I'm with that. And I think, for the record, I think the Browns are in a, a great, healthy spot. They've awarded themselves this time to, like you said, marinate and chill on this. Like you said, though, about having to wait and see, there still is a lot of unknowns. I've, I'll speak for myself. I've been on the record saying that I thought Andrew Barry did a great job with this rookie class. They did nice rookie years, but now we need to see some jumps, right? Like Doug has been vocal about Harrison Bryant's decline. Jordan Elliott was a role player. Can he make that leap? Grant Delpit's going to have a rookie season. We're going to see what that looks like. Those are, you know, really your three headliners in a class. Jacob Phillips being another one going to have another big year. We're going to find Richard, out. If Rashard Higgins walks, Donovan Peoples-Jones is in it, Exactly. You know, that first freshman class of Andrew Barry is going to have a lot to prove and have the opportunity to do so. And then we're talking about, we again, we just talked 20 minutes about Tack McKinley and this edge rusher spot. Clearly, they're going to ask some rookies or a rookie to come in and have a role. Now we're talking about Andrew Barry's sophomore class or his second rookie class that he's drafted, this 2021 class coming in, and they're going to have to nail some picks there. So they're in a very comfortable, smooth, cool spot. But there still is also a lot of unknown. And if they, if this freshman class ends up being a bunch of studs and they nail this next group too in 2021, well then hallelujah, the Browns are cruising. We just don't know yet. I'm just gonna make one quick point. Like Mary Kay, you said you'd like the Bengals signing Trey Hendrickson as an edge rusher, right? 
they lost Carl Lawson. They lost the guy that everybody here right. wanted to be on the Browns. So it's like, you can't, you know, it's like, and nobody in this division has Miles Garrett. So if we're still doing like who has, it's like, we want the Browns to have an edge rusher. Well, they have an edge rusher. The Bengals signed Trey Hendrickson. They still don't have an edge rusher as good as the Browns have. So I understand that it's free agency, but I'm just very interested in talking about both columns at the same time. Okay, Scott, you're up. Number three. I'm just going to rant about how the Browns don't like Richard Higgins. Can I just re- redo my rant from, from yesterday? Well, no, Part two. Then, then they'll probably sign Richard uh, Higgins right in the middle of it. Yeah, really. All right, so mine, mine is kind of related to, I guess, to Tag McKinley in a way. And it has to do with Andrew Barry. And again, this could all change tomorrow. He signs Hassan Reddick and Clowney together or something. But from what he's done so far, he's telling us that he values coverage more than he values pass rush. And that makes sense because we know the Browns are very aware of analytics and they use that to make their decisions. It's really hard to have a successful defense without players that can cover. And I know that's like a, well, duh (laughs) statement, but coverage correlates to winning more than pass rush correlates to winning. And this all kind of became a huge debate uh, a couple years ago when PFF did a bunch of studies that showed their pass rush grades or coverage grades rather had a greater correlation to expected points and winning percentage than their pass rush grades. And some people, traditional folks pushed back on that saying, well, no pass rush is the most important thing. And pass rush helps your, 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 your coverage and things like that. But if you separate those things and just look at the things that they're doing individually, coverage tends to matter more than pass rush. The Browns last season uh, in pass rush defense, they were 24th in expected points added. And really it should be expected points taken away because they were like minus 148. They were near the bottom of the league. And if you help the back of your defense, you're going to give your pass rush more time to get to the quarterback. Because the longer the quarterback has the ball, the more likely it is that he's going to do something bad with it. Or as a defense, something good's going to happen to you. If, you're, if the quarterback's getting the ball out quicker, it's negating your pass rush. Quicker, shorter throws are easier to complete and move down the field. It just has the Steelers. So what Andrew Barry is doing here is putting some value in the back of that defense and improving it with the signing of John Johnson and ideally adding some talent at slot and, and, you know, behind Greedy and Denzel to bolster that up because we all know the Browns aren't blitzing. So they need to improve their coverage and that in turn will help guys like Miles Garrett and McKinley get pressure on the quarterback. Think of remember back in week one, uh, Carson Wentz sacked eight times by Washington. That was a huge story that week. He dropped back 52 times in that game. They got pressure on him 20 times. And out of those 20 times, he actually got passes off on 12 snaps under pressure, completed five of them. Well, there's still 32 passes that he got off under without any pressure at all. That secondary still has to cover every one of those snaps. It couldn't be a situation like, well, the, the, the defensive line didn't get to the quarterback on that play. The secondary could just take that play off. It's just, they have to cover every play that kind of rolls into the fact that coverage just has a little more meaning to your overall success than that front four does. You need guys in the back who are going to do it consistently. So I think by 
going this route and putting more money into the into the into safety into the back part of your defense, it's telling us that they they're probably thinking along those lines. They have Miles Garrett. They have one of the best pass rushers in the league, and now they got a guy on the other side who maybe not ideal, but it matters more what's going on behind them. Creating more time for that quarterback to hold the ball helps make somebody like Tech McKinley better. So that's my hot take. Uh, let me weigh in here real quick. It's a great take, and you make excellent points there. But I have a question then. Why would Andrew Barry, since he came on board last year then, have made the highest offer out of anybody to Davian Clowney, put in all these waiver claims on TAC, although that wasn't, that wasn't going to cost a bunch of money or anything like that, made an offer to J.J. Watt, tried to trade for Yannick Nagakaway. I'm trying to think of who else. Who else am I forgetting? I, maybe that's it. But yeah, so Watt, Clowney, Nagakaway, and then I'm pretty sure that they tried to get Trey Hendrickson, or at least they joined the sweepstakes for some of these guys until the prices climbed higher than they than they really wanted to pay. So I think they're trying to be judicious with their cap, and maybe they have a plan that we don't know about yet that might include their first round pick or something like that. But I think he has demonstrated that he's willing to invest double digit millions in some cases and probably a significant, well, with Clowney, yes. And JJ Watt, yes. Probably with Trey Hendrickson, yes. And whoever else. Uh, so, you know what I'm saying? I, I think that he has demonstrated that he would have spent money on that second position. So although I, I understand what you're saying, and I see that he did put money into it in this free agency period, I don't think that those two things are mutually exclusive. When you, the Clowney, when they offered Clowney the most money, you said that was that a one-year deal or would that have been a multi-year deal? Uh, there were two different offers. One was the one-year deal. And I think that was the one I'm almost positive. That was the one that they had offered more than anybody else on the one-year deal. And I think they were super competitive on their multi-year offer. I just don't Our, think it's a coincidence. I, I understand them. I think they'll take one-year shots at defensive end. I just don't think it's a coincidence. I, obviously, everybody values pass rush. I just think other teams are going to value it more or are going to be willing to stretch more. So I think to Scott's point, it's like sometimes like you place value, well, where will you stretch or where will you go? And, and I just think to your point, Mary Kay, there's a pattern of them trying to get edge rushers, and there's also a pattern of them not getting them because they won't quite go as far as other teams because of the way they value everything put, put together, I would say. And I think on one hand, it demonstrates, yeah, they're willing to go. But on the other hand, they're not willing to go as far as a lot of other teams in the league are to get a guy there. Well, Jadavian actually didn't accept their highest offer. They were the highest. For uh, one they, year, you said, right. Which I think well, no, they'll go for they one had, year. No, they had a multi, they had, they had a very super competitive multi-year offer as well so his was a situation of wanting to be reunited with mike vrabel this his his was extenuating circumstances i think they were willing to go that extra mile for him so i, I think there's an interesting discussion here and maybe i'm taking this a different way but we had that discussion about efficiency yesterday and kind of what teams value and ellis you mentioned tight ends right that maybe the browns see an inefficiency at tight end and it just got me thinking, like, the, I think the really interesting thing about football and roster building is you, every roster gets built differently. 
And there isn't necessarily one way to build your roster. So the Browns value tight ends because that's what their offense values, right? So they're going to pay a bunch of tight ends. They're going to draft tight ends. A team like the Rams or some other team might not. The San Francisco 49ers just paid a ton of money for a fullback. How many teams in the NFL value a fullback to that level? Five, six, maybe it's up to 10. I don't know. So in this situation, I think it's interesting. The Rams let John Johnson walk. And then they paid an edge rusher a bunch of money, like an hour later. So clearly they valued that edge rusher over keeping that safety. And I, d- I don't think that makes the Browns right or the Rams wrong. I do think it's a lot of what you value as an organization, what you're trying to build, what your systems look like on offense and defense. It's why Andrew Barry said when I asked him about trades, why he said, you know, a trade in baseball, when you trade for a third baseman, he can play third base anywhere. A safety can't always play safety everywhere. So I, I think that's, I think maybe that's part of this discussion too, is, you know, finding those inefficiencies. I just think there's going to be more in the NFL because teams value every position differently based on what they do. I think it's a great point, Dan, that, you, that you're making because, it, you know, you're exactly right about that. I mean, the Rams had an opportunity to give the big bucks to one of those guys and they, they chose the rusher, even though they have others. I mean, they, they already have their miles. They have the best pass rusher in football. Right. (laughs) And they just went out and spent a ton of money on another one. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Cut that out of there, Dan. Sorry about that. (laughs) Orange and brown talk after dark. We'll see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) We'll edit that one out. It wasn't that bad, everybody. It was just the S word. (laughs) Anyways, um, so, <laughs> so you know what I'm saying? I think that I think you make a great point, Dan. I mean, I, I understand what you guys are saying. And plus, here's here's the other thing. Everything is so cyclical, too. I mean, from from one year to the next, those analytics are going to change because the defenses are going to keep up with the next thing that the offense is doing. I mean, the, the next big thing that's going to happen on defense is for these defense is to figure out how to stop the the play action pass. I mean, you know, somebody's going to figure that out and it's going to take some kind of defender, special unique defender to do it. But but I think I think I think that's a great point. I mean, they had it and they went out and paid a lot more for more. Yeah, I, I, maybe I, the maybe the next step is a team that plays a bunch of safeties. Maybe. That's where Go we're ahead, headed. Else. No, and, and no, to that point of what Scott had to say, just with valuing safety, playing a lot of safeties, I, I could talk about it for a, a whole podcast. It's football philosophy. It's it's roster building, like you said, Dan. The only fear is, or the obvious thing you do not want to become, is the Tennessee Titans. Everyone saw what the Browns were able to do to the Titans when you don't have a pass rush, and the Titans had a pretty expensive back seven and it didn't matter because you couldn't phase the quarterback Baker Mayfield picked them apart the Titans I think set a record this year for a a team with the fewest sacks ever to make the playoffs I think they only had like 19 sacks and it was an early bounce they're desperate to figure their edge rushing situation out they've been desperate for two years now Vic Beasley Jadon Clowney now Bud Dupree that's who you don't want to be I'm not saying the Browns are headed there but when you pay the back seven and your pass rush isn't at least slightly above average, then it really doesn't matter how long you can cover for because the quarterback's going to sit back there and do whatever he wants anyway. Very quickly on the Rams letting Johnson go and adding a rusher. 
when they beat Tampa Bay and Tom Brady last year, they had five DBs on the field every snap. So I don't know who else they have in their roster. I don't know who's sliding in for John Johnson, but I thought that was interesting. And I think it, it goes to show that like you, you invest on that back end and they made it hard, hard for Tom Brady in that game for sure with five DBs. And also they also have a new defensive coordinator this year too. So that also maybe hmm. he's got a different philosophy than, uh, than what Brandon Staley had. Okay. We're going to take a break. Mary Kay's swearing. We're, we've gone forever. We're going to take a break and get our last, two, uh, our last two takes in here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Hey, it's Dan. We're going to take a quick break, and I'm going to tell you about Football Insider, where you can subscribe to get exclusive access to stories on cleveland.com slash browns. You also get a newsletter every single day with exclusive content that's written by Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, or me. It goes right to your inbox. That stuff doesn't show up anyplace else on the site. You get that every single day, including on the weekends, in your inbox. That's just for our Football Insider subscribers. And then there's our texting, where Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, and I will text you throughout the day with news and analysis. We do Q&As. We answer questions. We have opportunities to come on the podcast and make picks. We do roundtables, all sorts of fun things with our texters, and we're going to start putting together some stuff for you to enjoy here in the offseason. So all you need to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns. There's a big blue banner at the top of the page. Click on that banner, get all the information you need, get yourself signed up, and get yourself access to all of that exclusive content that we have available only for our Football Insider subscribers. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Doug Maurice, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, and Ellis Williams all with you here. We are throwing out some takes. And Mary Kay, you are up with your take. Well, you know, I just still think that it is worth the money to dig around in your pocket and find a few extra pennies and a few extra nickels and throw it at a really good, proven, established pass rusher. And I know, Doug, you're going to ask me which one and how much. And I do think it's weird, by the way, that the Bengals let Carl Lawson go and then paid Trey Henderson. That's weird. Why would you do that? I don't really understand uh, why they did that, uh, because they both ended up basically with the with the same average. So I don't know if Carl Lawson just felt it was time for a change of scenery or if, or if the Bengals did. But but that was a bit odd. I, I, maybe I would have gone Yannick Nagakaway two years, $26 million. Uh, all of it was guaranteed, but, um, but I might've gone down that road. I know they really liked him a lot. I, I know they, I know right before uh, this free agency period opened, I was, I was being told that, that they really liked him a lot. And we know they liked him last year. So I, I, I don't know. I, I thought he was somebody that would have been able to uh, come in, come in here and maybe increase those eight sacks that he set, had last year. He was in two different systems. I think that's a hard way to go. He had gone from the Jaguars to the Vikings, to the Ravens, learning different systems. And I thought the stability of coming here and knowing exactly what your role is going to be, knowing that you're wanted and that they want you to rush the heck out of the passer. I, I thought that, that that probably could be good for him. I, had, I also really liked Carl Lawson, but those prices got those prices got high, but I will say this, I will say this, you know, I've seen a lot of money thrown around in free agency over the years. I've seen a lot of money thrown around and you always, of course, have to overpay. In my opinion, if you can pay $10.5 million for a, for a tight end that catches 30 passes a year, or if you can pay well, now, you know, $11 million for a safety you know, I, I think it's worth paying for 
an edge rusher. And, and I think you could find the money to do it. And I think there was somebody on this list that would have been worth double digit millions. Because I think that not only are you getting the production out of that player, I think it does something for Miles. And I think in the same way that the Browns need to protect their 2018 number one overall pick, I think they need to protect their 2017 number one overall pick. I've looked out plenty of times and saw two guys hanging off of him, three guys hanging off of him at times. And I think if you can take a little bit of pressure off him and be able to, you know, maximize his potential and his ability to get to the quarterback, I think that's important. I also think it helps the John Johnsons of the world and the Denzels of the world. If you can have a few more guys up front to bring that pressure. So they, they, I mean, maybe it is, maybe, maybe tack is going to be the guy, but I just think two guys screaming off the edge. I mean, I, I remember seeing Patrick now they didn't have their tackles, but Patrick struggled when he got pressure. Josh Allen struggled in the playoffs when he got a ton of pressure. Uh, I, I think it means something. And, and I think jo- John Johnson might tell you uh, that it, that it meant something to him to have some of the guys up front that he had. So I just think that I, I would have done it. That's how I would have done it. I would have spent some money on a really, really good pass rusher. And one of these guys, one of these guys has got to be worth double digit sacks when you pair him with Miles Garrett. And I would have found one and I would have paid him and I would have been lived happily ever after. With Johnson or instead of Johnson? I would have, no, with Johnson. Johnson's a great pickup. I think you could have done both. They have cap. Do you think the cap works? I think so. I mean, Dan, you have a cap take coming up, right? Sort of teasing the cap take. The cap is like the underlying foundational principle of this hour long discussion. And we keep teasing that we're going to talk about it at the end. We can talk talk about it now because I'm going to let you guys down. It's not, it's not really a cap take. It's just looking at like, I find it interesting that John Johnson has five and a quarter million dollars guaranteed this year on his contract. Like he signs this big contract. There's not guaranteed five and a quarter cap hit. That's what I mean to say. Right. I find that interesting. That makes me think something, but it's not really a cap take. So if we want to have the cap discussion, we can have the cap discussion. Right. So let me, let me put it this way. If the Browns had wanted to sign a double digit million pass rusher, I think they could have done it. I just think these, these numbers got a little too high for them. I think they could have done both. I think they could have done both. And if you you think it's not cap, it's just, they evaluated some of these guys that we'd pay those guys 12, but the market's 14. We're not going there, but you think cap wise, they were okay. I think so. Yes. And here's another thing. Once again, I mean, you can make cap money where you need it. Like all these other teams did. And you could go to several players on the team and restructure a contract and create cap space. I'm making it sound easy, but it is actually not that hard. If you're going to, if you're going to hand somebody a little bit of extra money or some, you know, guaranteed money or whatever, you can create some, some cap space with the restructuring. They, they could have done it. I think the numbers got a little too high for them. I think they looked at each one of these guys and probably thought there were flaws in all of them, but there are flaws in, in, in every player for the most part. 
not too many in John, in John Johnson that I can see so far, fortunately for them. Um, but, you know, they probably thought most of these guys had sort of like a, a knock against them in some way. But I think you could have found one. I think you could have found one that could have done for you what you wanted them to do. And maybe they still have something up their sleeve. Like, like Scott said earlier, maybe they're, maybe they're going to sign Hassan Reddick or Melvin Ingram or Jadavian Clowney. I mean, maybe there's still something coming that we don't know about. Are we still doing cap stuff? Do we still want to talk about the cap? I do. All right. Well, sure. This regarding the cap, I just, until someone again shows me proof that there are actual penalties to being under the cap and then all of a sudden figuring it out by, like Mary Kay saying, restructuring and then retaining guys you want, then where's the dilemma? I don't see where this exists. A team like the Raiders cuts. Um, their center uh, Rodney Rodney Hudson today because the Raiders traditionally are a team that don't have a lot of liquid cash. Like Mark Davis doesn't want, can't pay his players. So they, so how the cap works from what I've understood is that if you have, if you're going to rework a contract, you front load the money, make additional years, be bonuses, pay them that year. One of the ways you can do this. And then you pay the money up front and then you, you it's cap relief later. The Raiders aren't, aren't candidates to ever do that because they don't ever have cash. Team like the and Los I, Angeles. I think, I think you have to put that money in escrow too. I think you have to put your guarantees in escrow. So they like it has to right. It has to get put away right then and there, even if you're not paying it right away. Exactly. Gotta have it. Team like the Los Angeles Rams seem like they can play, pay everyone like Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, and Brandon Cooks, who have not been on that team, some of them for three seasons now because they're the Los Angeles Rams, they have the money to do so. So this will never put a bow on the cap conversation, but a team like the Browns who probably lands right in the middle of those two organizations, if need be would find a way. And I don't think the Browns are in any way, shape or form close to cap hell, considering the safe spot they're in now, the future extensions they have coming and the options they would have to renegotiate those contracts when those times come. And the Rams are carrying $31 million of dead money between Goff and Gurley this year. And they don't give a rip. But it hurts their flexibility, right? Are you yeah. just claiming that it doesn't? Does it? They, they, just, they, just uh, signed, they just signed their edge rusher. I mean, they have Matt Stafford. I don't think, it, uh, there, I don't think they give a rip. There's, I don't know anything about this, but there's too many people who are smart football people I follow who push back against the cap is fake and think the cap is real and that there is a price to pay. And I think the, I think the Browns are aware of a future price you may have to pay. And so they're being a little, and they're, they're circumspect in the moment to avoid having to do things down the line where they end up having to get rid of players they like or eat a lot of dead money to get out of stuff that they were overzealous in the moment. I just, I just think that's how they might, they're maybe going to operate, even if a lot of other teams feel like they're not doing it that way. Scott, what are your thoughts on the salary cap? Uh, I do think that, I mean, teams like, you know, the saints and, and you mentioned the rate it's going to come due at some point. It just hasn't happened yet, but you have to think that it will. And I think you have to expect that it will. So that's, if I'm running a team, I'm not making decisions thinking, well, these guys are still out there doing all this thinking that it's okay. I'm going to assume that it's going to come due and you have to abide by it. So I'm not surprised if, if the Browns are thinking that way, because you certainly don't want to be that team that is kind of screwed when, when you suddenly find yourself in a situation where you have to get rid of somebody you really want that you don't want to get rid of. And you can't, 
restructure somebody's contract to make it happen. Which brings us to bake, waiting on Baker Mayfield's contract extension. Just kidding. <laughs> that, was just, that was just a joke. <laughs> Needed more swearing tonight. Now yeah. that we're, we're an hour into this pod, let's talk Baker Mayfield. <laughs> I want, I want to say this real quickly. I was in kindergarten when Y2K went down, so I'm not the one to talk about it, but it sounded like people were pretty scared of that too, and nothing happened. Uh, the world was supposed to end in 2012. We're all doing fine. I realize I'm being dramatic, but until I see some actual tangible penalties for this stuff, I understand the logic, but with the cap going up and these massive TV deals, it it's just like when, when, and we could talk about that forever. So I'll close with this to Mary Kay's point about the edge rusher. And it all ties into the cap as to why I would have signed someone for between 11 and 13 million. I think that's an extremely safe number, especially when guys like Demarcus Lawrence make almost 20 and that edge rusher market, probably, even though it sounds like big money is going to look a little suppressed this year. When we look back on this stuff, two years from now, when the cap does go back up and edge rushers start making 18, 20, 22 million again, the Browns finished 24th in pressure rate this year, 21.9%. Uh, the Titans, who I just detailed 10 minutes ago, finished 31st at 17.6. All right. Do we think the Browns, as of right now, will have a better pressure rate than a 24th place finish than they did a year ago? Keep in mind, the Steelers finished first at 35%. The Buccaneers third at 27.5%. And the Ravens fourth at 26.8%. I don't, I don't just don't see why that pressure rate's getting any better as of right now. Miles Garrett's going to be healthy and his lungs aren't going to be attacked by a virus. Okay. Also oh, keep lot, in mind a lot the, to put on one guy. The Browns were one of the, the teams that blitzed the least last season. Yep. I'm not saying that Joe Woods defense is going to turn into like the Ravens or the Steelers, but have, if they do go the three safety route, having somebody having more players out there who are quicker more athletic than some of your linebackers and maybe that increases. Maybe that's an avenue to getting more pressure as well. Bringing five guys a little more than they bring four. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you know, if you have, if you have, if Grant Delpit is what we think he can be and he's in the box and he's in those positions, it makes a lot more sense maybe having him doing that than, you know, BJ Goodson or Mac Wilson or whoever, you know, yeah, I'd love to see them bring five. It's a great point. And and all the most of the people that we're talking about, these edge rushers who are signing with other teams, they're signing with those teams to be that team's Miles Garrett. I don't right. think that can be lost here. We can get we can make it sound like, oh, all they have is Miles Garrett at defensive end. What are they gonna do? It's like, what are you talking about? They have one of the five best pass rushers in the league. That's a good place to start. Last year there were 20 edge rushers in the league who were a $10 million cap hit or more. 15 teams. No, 10 teams had one of them. Five teams had two of them. And the Browns were one of the teams that had two guys because they had Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon. So if they're not one of those teams this year, that they are not one of those teams spending on two edge rushers, that makes them normal. So I, I, I don't think we can leave this saying like, now, if you're saying build on strength, okay, it's an argument. But again, Carl Lawson, we're trying to add Carl Lawson to miles garrett i don't he's got to go be miles garrett there and i'm not so sure i wonder if that factors in to how the browns view value in that kind of thing that the jets are paying extra because they got to get their miles garrett and no matter who the browns sign here he's their second best guy 
and I don't know how that enters a value proposition, but it's not normal. It's not lots of teams win without two high priced edge rushers. We have to keep that in mind. Okay. So my, my thing isn't a take, it's kind of a, I don't know if you want to call it a prediction or a gut feeling or something like that. But so I've, I've mentioned this John Johnson contract structure where they've left some, some money open. It's five and a quarter million dollars. They paid Tack McKinley $4 million. So about how much cap space is left there? What, what do they have coming into this Mary Kay? Almost 25. 25. So they've eaten up about nine of it, right? Mm-hmm. It would not shock me if tomorrow at four o'clock PM, when moves start to become official, we get one of those press releases from the Browns that they've been keeping under wraps that makes us stop in our tracks because they've made some kind of trade because they've, they've made aside from John Johnson, they've made their second big move. It's a trade. Maybe it involves David Njoku and a pick, but that's maybe how they get their second edge rusher or that's how they get their starting cornerback. I just mm-hmm. have this weird feeling and it could be a dud. We could get to four o'clock and there's nothing. And we just get the typical, yeah, we're confirming everything that happened that you guys already knew. But remember the Brock Osweiler trade? I've told that story when I was at the vet, when the Brock Osweiler trade went down, nobody saw that coming. And then at four o'clock, we find out the Browns are acquiring Brock Osweiler in a second round pick. Mm-hmm. I just wonder if there's something kind of brewing there where there's teams that are going to have to get under that cap at 4 p.m. tomorrow, like the Cincinnati Bengals. Not that I, it would be a, a division trade, but there's going to be teams that maybe have to make some moves to get under the cap so they can sign the guys they were intending to sign. And the Browns have been sitting here waiting. They jump in. Maybe they're ready to make that move on David Njoku. I don't know. And they make a deal, and that's their second big move of free agency. We're, we're Ellis, at- Ellis tell, tell Dan what my bold prediction was on Monday's podcast. Is that your bold prediction? What was my bold prediction? You guys are identical. 48 hours in, I asked what – what where the Browns would be at, and Scott essentially paraphrasing, it'll be on the cusp of a, a trade uh, in those same light. And to that point, since you guys are being identical here, we're an hour and fifteen minutes in. <laughs> we should have led with this. We should have <laughs> led with this. Yeah, <laughs> listeners exactly. are going to get an hour and fifteen in and start hearing the trade talk that they want so badly. No, I like it. I like it. We didn't get a chance to uh, weigh in on uh, on Scott's version of it, but. Andrew Barry always wants to be aggressive. You know he wanted to be aggressive in the trade market. I'm sure he's been working the phones like crazy. Sometimes you can get things done. Sometimes you can't. But we know he's been trying. Uh, There are still plenty of positions on this team that he would like to bolster. And I I don't know how, how he would pull it off, but I'm sure he's been trying like heck. Can I ask one cap question quick before we get out of here? Yes. Is there is there some value to being the team that when the dust clears has a little extra money for when stuff gets goofy a little later on, a little later on in the summer, right before the season when stuff starts happening and then guys start coming available. And when they're looking for jobs, you have a little bit more money to do some stuff than everybody else. And then if you don't do anything, you roll it over like they rolled over extra cap space this year. Is that is that and is there an advantage to that to not spending it all right now? Mary Kay would know better, but I'll just say the Colts have, I think, came in with like the third or fourth highest amount of cap room, and they haven't done a thing yet. So, and, you know, Chris Ballard, that front office is, they usually get it right. So it, it, it seems like a safe spot to be. They've had that cap flexibility for a good two, three, four years now. 
Well, we know they, they have a number of guys that they can either extend this off season or not. So you've got to, uh, you've got to mess around with that. And then your, uh, your rookie allotment also comes out of that too. It's not like they, they have all this, all these millions to just go throwing around everywhere. Stop taking away the money that Scott and I are using on a trade here. <laughs> Scott, did you have like a specific trade in mind or just a, a trade? Uh, well, we recorded that on Friday. And at that yeah. point, I was thinking they would probably target pass rush in free agency at that point. So my thinking was they would make trade for a linebacker, some sort of athletic linebacker who fits more with, you know, with the scheme they want to run. So that, that was my thinking. But just a trade in general, I mean, that's, everybody's focused on free agency and a lot of times Browns have that you're right. They've made trades during this time that have kind of really made a big impact on the team. And yeah, it would not be shocking to see that happen again. Daniil Hunter, Minnesota Vikings defensive end. There we go. If we were in the studio, I'd give you a high five, Scott, but I can't do that. (laughs) I wanted one too. And Ellis, I'd give you one too. All right. I think we're, uh, I think we're set. There's our five, uh, Hot-ish takes. Scott, your take was not a hot take because you backed it up with all this data. Just Make accurate views. Bad. Just accurate <laughs> views. All hot all right. takes by nature are meant to be objectionable. So it's, it's okay if we all disagree with each other. All right. There we go. Five hot takes here. We will be back with another round table tomorrow and we'll have some official moves. Maybe we'll have a trade to talk about. Maybe we'll have some big move to talk about. I bet we might have something to talk about with Richard Higgins by then. Who knows? If we don't, we'll talk about him anyway. Uh, So for Doug, Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.